One of the, uh, we're, I'm going to do a standalone sermon today and revisit something that we talked about a lot here and that the Bible talks about a lot and weighs in as one of the weightier matters of God's law, Jesus called it. Uh, one of the things that's most important if we're going to major on anything in the Christian walk, we need to major on this. This is an important element in our vision here at City Church, which is to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. It's also one of our values here. We value loving community. And so we're going to do a standalone uh, focused in on the life of Jesus and how he exemplified love for people and called us to do the same. As we look at the world right now, I think we can all agree that this world needs more love. And that if there's going to be healing to the brokenness that we see in this world, it's going to come through the love of Christ that has been placed inside the church, the body of Christ, who is called to be compelled with the love of Christ and go and speak about the gospel, which demonstrates the love of Christ for us. And so we're going to look at, get a good glimpse of Jesus, our example, and, and be inspired to, to, to live out the same love. Um, as a father, one of the most pleasant experiences that I have been able to experience is my children showing brotherly affection to one another, dwelling together in harmony. God bless you, brother. Dwelling together in harmony. How good and pleasant it is. Psalm 133, when the brethren dwell together in unity, right? It's a beautiful thing. And as a dad, it's, it's delightful to my eyes and my ears to hear harmony and unity and love and affection. And when one of the, the kids get hurt, uh, the other one comes and comforts the other or uh, shares, shares a snack with the other. And that's one of the, the, the most pleasing things, one of the most delightful things that I've experienced as a dad. And there's several. Um, but also one of the, the most displeasing and painful things is to see this harmony and disunity amongst the kids, amongst the family. One of the most uh, uh, un, unpleasant experiences is, is to see one child fighting with the, with the other, attacking one another, saying hurtful words towards one another. And today we're going to look at God's heart for his people, displayed through Jesus and how Jesus called his people to be a people of love. As a pastor, by the way, one of the, one of the great joys that I've been able to experience is to see the love of Christ in action right here among us. And, and this here is vision for us at City Church. And this is, this is a value, a core value for us at City Church. And, and many of us are walking this out, and I want to affirm that where I see the love of Christ operating in your lives here. Because how comforting and, and sweet it is to be a part of a loving family when you're hurting. And life has just hit you really hard. To have brothers and sisters to be with you and walk with you through the darkest, most difficult times of your life. Knowing that they got your back. Knowing that they're going to pray for you. Knowing that they will be there and just be a loving presence to go through the valley with you. What a comforting thing that is. <clears throat> And so we're going to look at Jesus' example in John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, you can look up on the screen. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and then he poured it into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, 
but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love how all in Peter was. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I so am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do also as I have done for you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a beautiful picture of humility, of authority, of servant leadership, of love displayed in our Savior. Here's the big idea. Jesus exemplified a life of perfect love for us. And he calls his disciples to follow his example by humbly and lovingly serving others. Jesus exemplified a life of perfect love for us. And he calls his disciples to follow his example by humbly and lovingly serving others. Now let me just start, first of all, with... Uh, just some, some context here. These guys wore sandals, and they didn't have the type of paved roads and uh, 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 sidewalks that we have. Now, there were, there were some roads, the Roman roads, right? But, but most, mostly travel was through dirt roads, okay? Dusty, dirty, going through dirt roads, walking through all kinds of stuff, animal dung, all right? And feet would tend to get caked with all kinds of filth and scum, right? And so when you go into a house and you've been walking around and your feet are just dirty with all kinds of stuff, stinky, it was custom that the feet would be washed, all right? And if there was a servant in the household, the lowest servant in the household would do that, that lowly task, okay? It was custom that, that, a, uh, that a host would provide water for their guest's feet to wash their feet, all right? And so here we have Jesus doing the unthinkable in his day with among his disciples who looked up to him as rabbi, as messiah, as teacher, as Lord, and he was teaching them a valuable lesson. Now, he, prior to this, his disciples, other gospels tell us, Luke 22, I believe, and uh, he tell us that the disciples were arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And, and, and they're, they're, they're aiming for, James and John are aiming to sit to the right and to the left of Jesus when his kingdom comes. And, and they want that, those high positions. And Jesus, here in John's gospel, is teaching them a powerful lesson, objective lesson in action here. That must have been very humbling and very uncomfortable and must have been very radical in his day. He, he communicated a message through his actions that spoke powerfully to each of them. He washed their feet. I'm sure he probably got in there between the toes and got all the stuff out of there, right? He washed their feet. He washed all 12 of the disciples' feet, including Judas. Including Judas, who he knew was going to betray him in a short period of time. Actually, back in John chapter 6, it, John tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning those who believed in him and the one who would betray him. Jesus knew all along. Just, just, just meditate on that for a couple days and just ponder. Like Jesus knew about Judas' betrayal in his... Um, his lack of sincerity or his lack of authenticity as a follower the whole time. 
Okay, stay low. Just you ponder that. Okay. Yet Jesus washed his feet. He knew the betrayal was coming. He knew the denial was coming from Peter. And he washed Peter's feet. Okay? So first point is that Jesus exemplified a life of perfect love for us. Notice in verse 1. This was the feast of the Passover. Jesus was moving close to the cross. His days here on earth were, were being shortened. They, they were coming to an end. His time here, his ministry of three years of public ministry was coming to an end with his disciples. And he knew it. He knew. John, throughout John, uh, puts this emphasis on Jesus being in tune with knowing what was going on and what the Father had called him to do and the timings, uh, the timings uh, that, that the Father had called him to do certain things. And now before the feast of the Passover, it says Jesus knew that his hour had come and that, that he had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And listen, Notice this verse here at the end of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus displayed perfect love to these guys. And these guys were knuckleheads. Many times these guys, okay, in Luke 9, they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. They're like, hey, these Samaritans, they don't want to hear our message. They don't want to hear about you, Jesus. Can we just call down fire on them? Right? And he's like, no, you guys do not know what spirit you're of, right? Uh, he, he, uh, his disciples in, in Luke 9 as well, they, they want to forbid some, some folks from casting out demons because they weren't a part of the, the 12. Hey, should we stop these guys from casting out demons? And Jesus is like, no, let, let them do their thing, right? If they're, yeah, let them go, right? Uh, and, and so Jesus patiently bore with these guys, with their immaturities, with their weaknesses, with their sins, with their failures. When you're around somebody day and night for three years, all their little quirky things start to come out. Right? When you live with somebody, you're around them, all those little quirky things come out. So forgiveness and forbearance are much needed when you're that close to anybody. All right? All the parents said, amen, all the spouses, husbands and wives said, amen, roommate, yes, amen, right? And Jesus walked in perfect love with these guys. He was patient with them. He, he, he was committed to doing good to them. And notice this, in John's gospel, leading up to this time, sandwiched between this, this beautiful act of Jesus showing love through washing their feet, Jesus said twice, that he was troubled. Okay? In chapter 12, it says, Now my soul is troubled. For what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus saw the cross approaching. He started to feel the burden. He started to feel the weight. When he went and prayed in the garden, his soul was, was exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And even began to sweat drops of blood. It was so intense, the spiritual pressure that he felt as he was battling, standing, and interceding out of love for you and me. And out of obedience to the Father. So he's approaching, there's this pressure being put upon him as he's getting closer to the cross. And then right after this happens, uh, verse 21, it says, uh, now after saying these things, Jesus was Troubled in his spirit. His soul was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, now notice this. Now just, just think about the times when you feel troubled, when you feel sick, and you're just in pain. Is your tendency to think about other people during that time? Is your tendency to help somebody else out, parents? When you're sick and you're concerned about what's going on with me, I feel terrible. I'm going to die. Is your tendency to think about other people like helping out with the kids, changing diapers? Oh, you got to do it, right? Um, and that is an act of love. When the pressure's on our soul, when we're walking through troubled times, and life is difficult and life is hard like it is for so many during this pandemic season, and through this racial turmoil and through all the global events that are taking place, many people are feeling pressure on their souls. And Jesus, when he was walking through his 
darkest hour, he didn't just focus on himself. He was thinking about others. This is love. This is love. Because when you hurt your toe, when you break a, a, a bone, when you, when you hurt yourself and you're feeling pain, you, your tendency is to just think about that pain and getting relief for that pain, not thinking about serving others. Okay? But this is what Jesus did. He loved his disciples to the very end, even when he was on the cross. He's praying for those who are killing him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even when he's on the cross, struggling to get breath, to, to breathe, he takes time to say these powerful words to this criminal, to his side, to say, surely you'll be with me today in paradise. And give a promise and a word of comfort in his most painful, difficult moment in his life. And so Jesus exemplified what perfect love is. Let's, let's just define love here. Let's talk about it. Because there's lots of different definitions about what love is. That's why I wanted us to see uh, this, this uh, Bible Project video. Because I think it does a good job of giving us an overview. When you look up in the dictionary or when you uh, observe what, what a definition of love is from the culture, there is an emphasis on feeling. Okay? And it just it stops there. Okay? But the Bible, the Bible love, the biblical kind of love doesn't stop there at feeling. Okay? Now, it doesn't, it, doesn't com- it doesn't rule it out. I think affections and emotions are a part of love. But it, it, if you just stay there, it's shallow. It's very shallow. So here's, here's my working definition. In, in pondering 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives us a description of love. Love is patient, love is kind, and, and so on. He gives a list. Of what love is and what love isn't. It's not rude. It's not irritable. Okay? Um, love patiently and delightfully seeks the well-being of others by humbly serving them. Okay? Love patiently and delightfully seeks the well-being of others by humbly serving them. Our culture emphasizes the feelings of love and its definition. If we settle for that definition, it would be shallow and lacking. The love that Christ calls his people to walk in isn't less than that, but it's so much more. Okay? The love of Christ, the love that Christ calls his people to walk in involves not only our affections, but also our attitudes and our actions. Okay? Um, I want to encourage you this week to, to... to meditate on and look at 1 Corinthians 13 in the life of Jesus and see if you can come up with a working definition for what love is based on the Bible. On, on what, how the Bible describes love and expresses what love is. You can look up the New Testament word agape and, and dig into that. You can look up the Old Testament word ahava and, and, and dig into that. But this is what we are to be majoring on. As Christians, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I know this is so basic. This is so basic to Christianity. We all know this. But it's interesting to me how some of the most basic, clear things in the Bible are some of the most challenging things for us to walk out and practice in our lives. Amen? And thankfully, God doesn't leave us to ourselves to conjure this up. He empowers this, and we'll talk about that shortly. Notice in verse 3 and 4 how Jesus used his position of authority to serve. This is a powerful statement in verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Okay? There's sovereignty right there. There's authority right there. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew his identity as the Son of God who was always with the Father. He knew the authority that he had as the Son of God. And you would think that after a line like that, he would sit back and put his feet up and say, Hey guys, wash my feet. Can somebody give me a foot roll here? We've been walking all day. No, instead of putting a, 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 a napkin on and saying, serve me. 
He took an apron. And he got down low. And he began to wash feet. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garment. I don't know about you, but after supper, I want to relax. That's not, for me, that's not the time to wash feet, right? That's the time to sit back and relax, right? And while everybody's sitting back and relaxing, Jesus rose up. And he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied his waist. He began to wash his disciples' stinky feet. This is Christian leadership. This is Christian ministry. Ministry is service. It's about serving other people. Pastors and ministers are servants. Jesus lived his life as the ultimate servant king. Okay, And he said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus showed his love for the disciples by washing their feet. But, 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 it was, but even beyond that, he displayed his love by the cross, by him dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and washing away their sins and our sins. This is how he's loved. he loved us. He loved, he loved us till the very end. He loved them till the very end. And he will love us throughout eternity. Until the very end of our life here. In, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus gets this request from James and John. And it irritates the other disciples. They want to sit the right and the left hand of Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, hey, come here. Can we sit by you? When your kingdom comes, let us be um, let us be vice president, and uh, we, we want to help we want to help run this thing with you, right? And, and so Jesus called to them, verse forty two. He said, Jesus called to them and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you." But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is radical. This is a, par- this is a kingdom paradigm shift that Jesus calls his people to walk in. The world does not get this. This doesn't make sense. This is counter-cultural, which we are to be. We're to be like salmon who swim upstream. We don't go with the flow of every trend that seems so cool and sexy. We go against it, and oftentimes we look like fuddy-duddies, old-fashioned fuddy-duddies, out of date. What? Y'all going to wash feet? Y'all going to do what? You're going to go do this service project over here? You're going to go help these people over here? And, and to the world, these things may not look very attractive. But Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want to experience greatness, you want to walk in true greatness, then be the servant of all. That's greatness. That's beauty. That's glory. And here's the thing. If we don't see the beauty in this and the greatness in this, when we look at the life of Jesus, then we're going to be less likely to adapt it as a lifestyle of our own. But when our eyes are open to see the beauty and the glory of our Savior and King, who was a servant King, who went low, who had this high position of authority, and instead of instead of uh, lording it over, instead of being this, this unreasonable, dominating leader, he came as this humble king who washed feet. This should blow us away. The one who was in charge over all came down and served the least. This is mind-boggling to us. This is beauty, the beauty of our Savior's humility, authority, and humility. What do you do with your authority, with your strength, with your gifting, when you are the most influential person in the room, when you have the most authority in the room and you get to make the decisions, you get to call the shots, you get to lead the meeting, how do you handle that? Do you wash feet or do you say, hey guys, wash my feet? Ministry is service, not being served by others, Okay? He says, this shall not be so among you. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. Okay, Christians should have this posture of submission, of humility, this mindset of a servant. The apostles called themselves servants. 
Okay? Now, they were apostles, but they saw themselves as servants. This helps keep a person humble. When, when you're the CEO of a company and you're walking into the building and you see trash outside and you're picking the trash up. But you're the CEO. And there's, there's people who are paid to do that. But you're, you're going to pick that trash up. Because that's, that, that low task is not below you. And Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's our salvation. Because Jesus served us, not only by washing feet, but by laying his life down sacrificially for us on the cross, doing what we couldn't do for ourselves. He paid the price for our sins, for your sins and my sins, and we must receive that. Jesus calls us to love and serve one another in humility. He said, do you understand? Do you understand what I have done to you? I love that we see the disciples in this process of understanding. Like, a lot of times they didn't get it. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, it takes you more than one time, many lessons to learn uh, where you got to hear it, you got to hear it, you got to do the Bible study, you got to experience the failure, experience the uh, blue again. I, I missed the point here. I missed, I got out of step with Jesus here. All right. That, isn't it comforting to know that even the apostles were in a process of sanctification? Because Christianity is, is a life of, of progress, right? Now, positionally, Christ has made us perfect through his sacrifice, but, but we grow in Christ-likeness, and it's called sanctification. And it's often so painful when we see how slow the growth is, when we think we should be a lot further along in our Christ-likeness than we, than we are currently. And we've been walking with the Lord for years. But Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our example. And he calls us to love and serve one another in humility. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for I so am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do. For I've given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. Notice this, just as I have done to you. Okay, don't miss that. Because this is key. I'm going to talk about this here in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is key for us. If we're going to learn how to love others, we need to know how to first be loved by Jesus, receive grace and love from him. Paul picks up on this. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. I think the NIV says this attitude. Have this attitude, this mindset, this, this way of thinking. Okay? Among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Here we see Jesus taking the form of a servant by washing feet. But it doesn't stop there. His humility doesn't stop there. Because that's pretty low. When you come from the highest place in the universe, and you're down washing dirty feet, doing the, the lowest task of a servant, but he goes... Even further in his humbling of himself, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the way that Jesus calls us to. And if we're going to walk in it, it will require a death. It will require your death. You're dying to self. Dying to your preferences. Dying, in many instances, to your rights. What you think you should have, when you think you should have it. You've got to yield those up. Because Jesus, Jesus, if anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And he could have said, hey guys, you guys should have had this ready for me. 
I shouldn't be doing this for you. And he wasn't complaining about it. I think he had a great attitude. I think he had affection towards his people. All right, and we know we know he wept over Jerusalem. The Gospel of Luke tells us he wept over Jerusalem. Jesus had these profound and deep affections for his people. He had he had this posture of love towards his people, and he had these beautiful actions that display perfect love for his people, for you and me. He humbled himself, went to the cross. 11, 11 verse 17 where he says, you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Many of us who know our Bibles well and know theology well, we tend towards equating knowing good theology with actually doing it. Those don't actually equal each other. Just because you grasp what the Bible means, that doesn't mean you're doing it. Okay, this is convicting for me. Because sometimes I feel like this. When I, when I wrestle with a particular aspect of theology and I understand it, it's like I feel this sense of satisfaction. Like, yes! And I praise God. I worship God for what He's revealed in Scripture. Okay? But it shouldn't stop there. It should lead us to action. Our theology should lead us to praxis. To being doers of the Word. And if we don't, if our theology doesn't lead us to action, appropriate action, we miss out on the joy and the blessing that Jesus talks about here. You know these things. That's great. I just taught them to you. You saw me serve you. You know this. This is what you should do. It's not enough for us to, to merely know what we ought to do. It's not enough to, for us to merely know what Jesus did and what we ought to do. We must actually take action if we're going to experience the joy that's provided for us in Christianity. Okay? Blessed are you if you do them. If you, wanna, if you want your joy to be maximized, then give yourself away. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Another kingdom paradox. Okay? Blessed are you if you do these things. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says this. There is a form of religious piety that utters a hearty amen to the most strident demands of discipleship, but which rarely does anything about them. Ouch. Ouch. This reminds me of something Francis Chan uh, said to some of the people at a, at a conference who, uh, he, he, and I, I'm just kind of paraphrasing it, but he was basically saying, you know, don't, don't go away from here and be like, oh man, he killed it, that was an awesome word, and do nothing. Okay? Like, there should be action, right? James calls us to this action, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now, I, I would do a disservice to you if I just lay the, you ought to do. Here's what Jesus did, you ought to do. Let me, let me bring you to the basis and the source of, of our doing, the basis and the source of our love. Okay? You go a little bit further in John chapter 13, and he said this, he gave this command in this context, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's the basis for our love for one another. Here's the source. Here's where we find the empowerment. Here's where we get the overflow of love for people, even our enemies. Now Jesus is saying, hey, love one another. Within our community, those closest to us in the body of Christ and in our own families should be the, the, the greatest benefits of our love. We should do good to all, especially the household of faith. We should especially love those who are nearest to us. And really, that, that is the testing ground in our homes and in our families. Husbands, this should come through. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, husbands, you ought to love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is where to, where to walk it out, where people are closest to us and see our lives most closely and intimately. What they see should be love, Right? But if they're going to see that kind of Christ-like love, it's going to take for you and I to do what Peter had a struggle doing. Letting Jesus wash his feet. Lord, not my feet. No, not my feet. 
That, that was humbling. That didn't seem right for Peter. Right? He struggled with receiving the grace. The love that Jesus was trying to show him in that moment of, I'm teaching you how much I love you, but also what I want you to do for others. And this is so key, because if we're going to effectively be conduits of the love of Christ, we first, and, and givers of the love of Christ, we have to first be receivers of that love. 1 John four nineteen, the Apostle John, same author of the Gospel of John, uh, wrote these powerful words, We love because he first loved us. You see, this, this divine, powerful love that Jesus calls us to walk in isn't something we conjure up in and of ourselves. That we, we don't merely muster it up by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and merely willing it. I'm going to love this person who just cut me off. I'm going to love this person who just slandered my reputation. I'm going to love this person, right? It first comes by, by receiving God's love for us because we were once enemies of God. And he loved us. We, we've denied Jesus like Peter. We've failed Jesus. The disciples, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the three closest of the twelve. He said, hey, guys, come watch, watch and pray with me. In Jesus' most difficult time, what did they do? They fell asleep. Right? They, 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 they didn't measure up. Yet Jesus' love for them didn't change. Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him three times. Peter was surprised by it. Peter thought he loved Jesus a lot more than he actually did. He, Peter thought he was a lot stronger than he actually was. Peter needed to learn about the grace of God. The, the sustaining grace of God and the grace of God that restores us when we've fallen and we've failed utterly. Grace that we don't deserve. Favor and love that we don't deserve. As one uh, Tim Keller says that, uh, describing the gospel, he says that we are more flawed and sinful and broken than we ever dared to believe. Yet we are more loved and accepted than we ever hoped to believe. Or something like that. We're more messed up than we realize. Yet we're more loved than we realize. That's why the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that the church would get this. That by the Spirit of God, they would know the depth and the width and the height and the length of God's love. That they'd be able to comprehend, that they would be able to grasp just how much they are loved by God. And if you want to look at a demonstration of that, look to the cross. Jesus came to serve us. To give his life for us as a ransom. To pay the price for our sins. Receive that. As I said a couple of weeks ago, don't get caught up in all the do-do-do-do-do of doing without first receiving what Christ has done for you. Let him wash your feet. Let him wash away your sins freely by grace by you trusting in His perfect sacrifice, only sufficient sacrifice for your sins. And then from that, let that, that same love and grace that you've received through the gospel of Jesus Christ be the fuel, the thrust of you loving others and that love compelling you to reach others. Amen? Amen? 1 John 3.16 describes this domino effect of the gospel. It says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If we're going to do the ought of laying down our lives, we need to know the love of Christ laying down his life for us. We need to know. And this is our badge of discipleship. This is our affirmation to the world, to the outsiders who see Christians that we are authentic in our discipleship. That we are genuine followers of Jesus. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think it was Francis Schaeffer who said something along the lines of uh, Jesus is kind of giving the world uh, the right to judge 
The authenticity of our discipleship based on our love for one another. Something along those lines. Here's the proof. Here's the proof that you're genuine. As a follower of Christ, do you love? And if you're going to love, you've got to first receive it. If I don't have $50, I can't give it away. I've got to first receive it. Amen? And so Jesus told him that you guys are clean. He, when Peter responded like, hey, just give me a full bath then. Okay? Like that, not just my feet, but give, just give me a full bath, all right? I'll take the full bath. I, I don't want to lose this relationship here. I'm not going to give it up over this foolishness. Just give me a full bath, right? And Jesus kind of, he switched from the, from the speaking about the natural to the spiritual. He said, the one who's bathed doesn't need to be washed, but only his feet. You guys are clean. You are clean, verse 10. You are clean. Okay? But not all of you. Not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you were clean. So he went from the physical to the spiritual here. He was teaching them a lesson. Jesus' work, atoning work on the cross, cleanses us and makes us clean. Amen. Amen. Okay? But you and I, we must, if we're going to experience the benefits of that, we must be those who put our faith in him and what he's done. For us. And it's profound to me again, just that Jesus would let Judas do what he did, that he would wash Judas's feet, that he would allow him to betray him with a kiss. How painful that must have felt. If anybody's ever felt the sting of betrayal, know that Jesus can sympathize with you, that he felt it, that he walked with a person for three years who was doing a lot, a lot of deceitful stuff behind the back with money. And Jesus wasn't in the dark on all that. But he loved this, this guy. I mean, I, I don't think Jesus was like treating Judas with a bad attitude during that time when he knew Judas was going to be that one. I don't, think, I don't think he was like skimping out on the meals with Judas or skimp, giving him the worst seat and wherever they were sleeping. I, he loved them. And he taught us his followers, to love our enemies, to bless those who persecute us, to do good to those who harm us. He not only taught it with his words, but he lived it with his lives, with his life. And so let's close here in application. Three things I want to encourage us to, to do for application here. Besides, articulate your own definition from the Bible on what love is. Think, think this week, think through, what is love? Biblically, look at 1 Corinthians 13, look at the life of Christ, read 1 John, do a word study on love, and write out, what is love? If, if your child was going to ask you, Mommy, Daddy, what is love? Give, have a working definition that you can give for them. And I, I gave you mine. Love is patiently and delightfully seeking the well-being of others to humbly serve them. Okay? Avoid seeing anyone below being served and avoid seeing yourself as above serving them. Let me, let me read that again. Avoid seeing anyone below being served. If there was anyone that, that Jesus could have felt below being served in that moment, would have been Judas. Like, he could have said, hey, I'm about to wash everybody's feet. Judas, why don't you go do what you're going to do? That happened after. Okay? He washed the feet. Okay? Avoid seeing anyone as below being served, regardless of race, class, regardless of relational status, where they're at with you. Avoid seeing yourself as above serving them. I'm too good for that. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. If Jesus took the low road, and we must too. I'm preaching to myself here. And parents, especially those of you with young kids, you guys get to live this out every day. You get opportunities every day. Changing diapers. Cleaning up spilled milk. Wiping runny noses. Wiping stains out of carpets and clothes. Okay? Um, I had a picture earlier of a nurse with, with all the gear on. Think about nurses right now and those working in the medical field 
serving those who are infected by coronavirus at risk of their own lives and spreading it to their own families. And I, I commend them for that work being on the front lines. I commend those who are making sacrifices on the front lines to show the love of Christ, not seeing themselves too high to get down and serve the lowly. Serve others by humbly doing the undesirable tasks. What are the undesirable tasks in your home? What are the undesirable tasks in your workplace? What are the undesirable tasks in your neighborhood? The ones that nobody else wants to do, that, that, that's below them. Be that person who says, I'll do it. I'll do the dishes. I'll clean the toilets. I'll mow the lawn. Whatever. I'm, try, I'm trying to train my kids away from the mindset of, we have chores in our household for the kids, and I'm trying to train them away from the mindset of, it's not my day, it's not my toy, it's not my mess, okay, well, this is an opportunity for you to serve. I'm trying to train them away from, I didn't do it, to, well, let's be like Jesus. What if we all did, what if, if that was our attitude concerning the coronavirus and the racial tension that we're experiencing in our nation right now? Well, I didn't do it. It's not my mess. I had nothing to do with it. Nobody would get, it would never get dealt with. The, the, the hurts would never get healed. The sickness would never get healed. But if we're going to see healing, we're going to see restoration, we're going to see revival, we need to know the love of Christ for us. And we need to show the love of Christ. To others, being compelled by that same love. So receive that love and grace that Jesus has shown for you so that you can have an overflow to give to others. Amen? Amen. I want to finish here um, with the song in response. To be like you. And let's make this our prayer.